It's time for the Contempo Coding Podcast. Discussions, knowledge, and insight to help you succeed in the medical coding industry. And now, here's your host, Victoria. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Sorry for the bit of a break that I've been taking. It's been a lot of plates getting spinned, and some of them are just unfortunately, as they do, uh, wobbling a little bit, and a couple are crashing and breaking. I was out for a little bit because I was redoing my office. It took a couple of days to kind of piece everything together. Plus, well, to be completely honest, I prematurely disassembled my desk because I didn't realize that my new desk was coming in three separate packages and I hadn't gotten all of the packages yet. It is a beast of a new desk. If you haven't seen it in my YouTube videos, definitely check it out. Uh, it is a sit-stand L-shaped desk from Autonomous, and it came in three different packages. It took quite a bit of work to get it together, but I didn't so much want it to go from the sit-stand so much as I just kind of want to be able to adjust my height. But boy, there is you know, I've not had a standing desk before. I've not been terribly interested in having a, a standing desk before because I do have venous insufficiency pretty bad in both of my legs. And, you know, if I stand for too long, all the blood rushes to my legs and stains in my feet, and then my feet start getting swollen. And plus, I just get really fidgety if I'm standing too, uh, too long. But... I've actually been surprised at how much I've enjoyed just some periodic standing moments where I can just kind of, you know, get off of my butt and stretch a little bit. And there is a different energy, oddly, from when you're presenting and you're standing versus when you're presenting and you're sitting down. So it's really come in very, very handy, uh, especially even when I'm just putting my makeup on and I want to raise my desk a little bit to where my makeup mirror is kind of right where I need it to be. Uh, I bought the Autonomous. So if you're ever interested in them, it's it's so fantastic because I, it's programmed. So I basically have, uh, there's a button that says one, I press that, that's my perfect sitting height that I adjusted it to and programmed it to. And then Two, I press that button and it automatically just lifts right up like hydraulics to the level that I need it to for standing. So it is absolutely very, very much recommended if you're in the market for a sit to stand desk. I've also been kind of making the rounds and I'm planning on making the rounds on a couple of different podcasts that are coming up. I have one that I just recorded, actually two I just recorded. Paint the Medical Picture is coming up with a wonderful, wonderful Sanal Patel. She's so amazing. And I have one coming up for a business, Gentem uh, Healthcare, I believe they're called. And then I'm doing one for a telehealth podcast as well. And as I'm going through, I'm kind of asking them to potentially come on to my podcast. I also have some people that I've reached out to that have said that they uh, would be interested in coming on the podcast or YouTube channel. So those are actually going to be dual episodes that will have the audio version on the podcast and the video version on the YouTube channel. Today, I want to talk a little bit more about plastic surgery. I've had a couple of videos on TikTok and YouTube talking about plastic surgery. And the big inspiration for this was I was scrolling on Instagram and saw this video. And I believe it originally originated from TikTok. And I don't know what this lady's background was, like why she was, if she worked maybe in 
billing or pre-authorizations or something, but she's like, hey, y'all, let me tell you about this case I saw where this lady, her policy covered for her to have a tummy tuck and check it out because your policy might cover for you to have a tummy tuck. So I wanted to clarify a couple of the things about the, the difference between a tummy tuck and a paniculectomy and how it's really not that insurance is paying for you to have a cosmetic tummy tuck, but they will pay for a very similar procedure if there is medical criteria that is met. I've worked with about five plastic surgery practices and a handful of plastic surgeons over the past, oh gosh, decade or so. And that's my specialty. I love plastic surgery. If you are new to plastic surgery as a coder and just want to learn more about it and understand it a slightly more from a clinical aspect, and coverage aspect, these are my three recommendations. So my number one recommendation, and these are all free. These are all free resources. There is a book that's out there and the entire PDF is free to download. It is called, just Google it, it'll come up. Practical Plastic Surgery for Non-Surgeons. Again, Practical Plastic Surgery for Non-Surgeons. And it is a book for uh, like it says, non-surgeons, more so probably um, people that have some clinical background, but it is really perfect for medical coders to understand the process of some of these commonly done and even sometimes not commonly done procedures in plastic surgery, even things like cleft lip and palate repair, wound care, hand procedures, and it gives a really good depth of information in a not so technical way. Another book that you can download the PDF version of, and I found it a little bit helpful. This was actually the book that I took with me when I took my CPRC exam, which is the Certified Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery Coder certification that the AAPC has. They no longer actively test for it due to the low volume of coders that are interested in being certified in that specialty that that wasn't offsetting the cost involved with holding that exam and that credential. So I get to keep my credential. It's just not anyone can uh, actively test for it anymore. But this book, one of my surgeons actually gave to me to take as my supplemental reference that I was permitted for the exam. And it's called Plastic Surgery Essentials for Students, and it is a book that's given to residents and helps them learn some of the basic information of plastic surgery. And then my third recommendation would be to check the ASPS recommended insurance coverage criteria, because that will give you a general sense of some of the procedures that may have more difficulty getting approved by insurance and what they found in that society is clinically their thought on the commonly acceptable criteria and reasons that some of these procedures may be medically necessary and covered by insurance. Now, one of the obvious ones to think about is things like breast reconstruction. And what I really want to focus on for this episode is ones that may have a cosmetic and a reconstructive purpose and how we differentiate what is the reconstructive versus the cosmetic and what's that medical necessity component. So breast reconstruction, obviously there is a cosmetic purpose for that, but there is a medically necessary reconstructive purpose as well. So patients that have breast cancer and they've had their breasts removed or they've had a good 
portion of their breast removes, or they have some sort of deformity or other acquired absence of the breast. In those cases, this can be something that is covered by insurance. Even though we might think of breast implants as being something more cosmetic, it is commonly done for breast reconstruction patients. Actually, the only case that I've ever scrubbed in on and witnessed and watched in the OR was a breast reconstruction. So what they do is they um, have skin sparing mastectomies in some cases where they basically take the inner tissue of the breast out, but leave the outside skin. Sometimes they can save the nipples as well. And in those cases, what they do is they take, they almost, they call it a cookie cutter. And it's kind of like what you think it would be. They cookie cut out the nipple and they insert what they call a tissue expander. The patient then comes back for fills to fill up the saline and expand that tissue then so that they can place a permanent implant once it is um, stretched out enough to hold an implant. And that way the patient can have that normal appearance of a breast. Now, if there, there are different reconstructive ways that they can do, they can take tissue from your back. They can take tissue from your abdomen and transpose it to form a breast as well. But when we're kind of talking about implants, uh, they usually place a tissue expander first and it's a stage procedure. So you might be looking at those 58 modifiers for the stage procedure first. They are inserting the tissue expander, filling it up and then replacing the tissue expander with a permanent implant. I have actually seen a few cases, uh, and this is probably more pertinent now because it was just emerging a few years ago when I started seeing it, and that is patent breast reconstruction. So when you think about removing the breasts, typically that includes all of the nerves and then don't have any sensation in your breast anymore after they've reconstructed it, but they are starting to do now neurovascular surgeries where they take tissue from your abdomen and can, uh, in some cases, completely dissect it and move it up to form breasts. Sometimes they rotate it in to form breasts, depending on if it's pedicled and so forth. But there are some surgeons now that can reroute essentially the nerves so that you can still have sensation in your breasts. Just a side note here, not my last job, but my one of the, the coding jobs that I had, they knew that I worked a lot in plastic surgery and my boss would lovingly refer to me as the breast expert. Not entirely untrue, but maybe not the best title for someone to have. Uh, but in, in that light, breast lifts. So while a breast lift in itself is not typically covered by insurance, you can get insurance to cover, in some cases, a breast reduction. And when they reduce the breast, they're not just taking out volume, but they also remove some of that skin. So there is a bit of a lifting effect that can happen when you get a breast reduction. Now, breast reductions for Medicare, you have to look at their policy because there is actually a gram requirement. They have to take out a certain weight of tissue out of the breast in order for them to approve for the breast reduction. Some of the other things that they look at are things like if you're having pain in your breasts or your back due to the weight of the large breasts, if you're having intertrigo, and which is a rash underneath your breasts and you can't uh, re- get any relief from creams or powders or anything like that. Backache. Uh, if you're having shoulder grooving from your bra straps, if you're having just pain, 
uh, headaches even from the weight of your breasts. Oftentimes this does involve things like the provider having to provide documentation of things like the shoulder grooving from the bra straps. And uh, there has to be a documentation trail of how maybe long you've had back pain. Sometimes they want two uh, different conditions and not just one. And uh, there could be pictures involved. It really depends on your insurance company. Some insurance companies, they might not cover it no matter what uh, your conditions are. It really does depend on the individual patient policy. Another interesting thing that can get covered by plastic surgery is eye lifts. So if the eye is so droopy that there is a visual field impairment, then some insurances will cover for an eye lift. One of them actually is Medicare. There's been a number of cases though, particularly in, as you would imagine, the Florida area, because there is a high aging population in that area where basically uh, kind of these fly by night shopping mall, corner store, um, eye lift cosmetic surgery type places were coming in. And it was very much a cheap chain store sort of eye lift place where they'd send you off for the visual field testing. And you're, they would say that, you know, your eyes are drooping past a certain point so that you, they, you could then get coverage for your eye lift. But some of these, you know, places were found to not be doing things in the most ethical manner that there could be, uh, receiving a lot of extra payments. So, uh, hopefully, I haven't kept up on it so much, but hopefully that's uh, been a, a little bit more cracked down on in the past few years. Now, let's go back to what I was originally saying I wanted to talk about because that was the, where these, this story originated from, was this tummy tuck thing. So first, let's talk about the difference between a cosmetic surgery and a reconstructive surgery. Cosmetic surgery is performed to reshape structures that are otherwise normal in order to improve the patient's appearance or their self-esteem or just the way that they feel about that particular structure. Reconstructive surgery is performed on an abnormal structure of the body, and that could be caused by something like a congenital defect, developmental abnormalities, trauma, infection, burns, disease, cancer, and it is generally performed to improve the function or to approximate a normal appearance. Now, abdominoplasties and paniculectomies are two different concepts as well. So when you hear the word abdominoplasty, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, abdominoplasties are typically performed for cosmetic purposes. And it includes not just the removal of the excess skin, but they do this fascial plication where they um, suture back together the rectus muscles from the diastasis. And they, you know, these muscles in the abdomen, they normally loosen through things like just aging, childbirth, uh, having excess weight. Sometimes they just normally, like as we age, just separate. And the abdominoplasties also typically involve removing your belly button, coring it out and moving it into a new place after they remove all that excess skin and, you know, pull it all down. It has to go into a new spot. So they core out the belly button and then they make a new slit in the skin to pull the belly button out and suture it in versus a paniculectomy. A paniculectomy just involves the removal of the hanging excess skin and you wind up with a 
horizontal incision, not unlike a C-section, but longer. And so there's a difference then between an abdominoplasty and a paniculectomy. And an abdominoplasty is not just removing the skin, but they're removing the skin more so for cosmetic purposes. They're suturing your muscles back together so you look more tight. They're um, moving your belly button into a more accurate spot. And cosmetic abdominoplasty, though, is sometimes performed at the same time as a functional paniculectomy. So there are patients who might get insurance to cover a paniculectomy that can't get their insurance to cover what's considered the more cosmetic component of it. If you look at CPT code 15830, that is for the excision of the excess skin and tissue, which is a paniculectomy. And then we have an add-on code 15847, which is for the abdominoplasty. So that umbilical transposition and the fascial plication. In some cases, insurance will cover for that abdominoplasty component of it because they want you to have the normal appearance of having a belly button. Others will not cover for it at all. They're just covering to remove that excess skin. Now, the reason they cover to remove the excess skin is because patients can more so what they cover it for is the rashes, the intertrigo, and the patient can't you know, have it treated appropriately with over-the-counter medications or creams or prescriptions, even from their physician, and it's existed for quite a period of time. It's not resolving. They don't want the patient to develop open sores or continue to pay for rash creams and treatments and doctor visits. Um, so there is a medical necessity component then. Sometimes they will also consider the fact if a patient has such hanging weight that it is beyond a certain point, if it is causing them back pain, those are some other considerations they may have as well. So it's not that a insurance is covering a quote unquote tummy tuck as this lady originally posted online because a tummy tuck is a cosmetic procedure and your insur- medical insurance isn't covering for po- cosmetic procedures. It's not that you have such a good policy that they're like, hey, we're going to cover for su- some cosmetic surgery for you too. It's that that crossed over into a medically necessary service. Now, again, there is strict criteria to have that excess skin removed from your abdomen. This isn't just a little bit of loose skin because you had kids and now your belly's a little bit loose. Oftentimes, insurances will have criteria such as the skin has to hang down past the pubis, so past your pubic bone. Um, others, it might even be further past that. There has to be pictures taken by the plastic surgeon of all of your hanging skin, and it has to be submitted to insurance. They oftentimes look for that documentation trail that you went to your PCP, complained that you were having problems, you had these problems for X amount of months, you tried you know, prescription powders, they didn't work. And in the cases of patients who have excess skin because they had bariatric surgery, insurances will also oftentimes have criteria that they'll say, we want you to be a certain amount of months out from your surgery and stable. So they'll be like, hey, we want you to be 18 months out from surgery and also six months of stable weight. 
And occasionally insurance may cover excess skin removal in other areas. It is usually not as common. The next most common would probably be the legs because that can cause problems with if it's hanging down into your pants, you could get sores if you're trying to do things like exercise. So that one might be slightly easier to get insurance to cover, but not always. Also the arms is one that patients have issues with a lot, but it commonly doesn't cause a functional problem to have excess skin on your arm. So it's not what insurance typically covers. Now, one of the nice things though about having insurance cover at least something is that most plastic surgeons have multiple procedure discounts because they've already done a lot of the work that's covered by insurance, like getting your anesthesia started. They've already got you opened up. So maybe if you're a patient who's like, oh, you know, my insurance is going to cover my stomach, but they're not going to cover my arms, your plastic surgeon may give you a discount then on that second service that they might give you a, a pretty good discount usually on that second service because the bulk of the work, you know, getting you, getting your anesthesia started, getting you in the room, having you, uh, uh, laying on the table and, and taking up that space in the surgical suite, that's already initiated. So those are the top procedures that we think of as cosmetic, but actually do have some reconstructive purposes and may be covered by your medical insurance. Now, the key is really that medical necessity component, starting that paper trail, having those conversations with your providers, getting everything documented. In some cases, it's going to be photos. In other cases, it's going to be things like that visual field test where they're saying that, hey, you can't see your, a certain amount of your visual field because there is such hanging skin over your eyes. So I hope you found this information helpful. I'm going to try to get back onto a regular schedule now that I'm getting into a situation where I can finally in a few weeks have undisturbed work time again. My daughter is starting back at YMCA day camp. So she's going to be at summer camp all day long, Monday through Friday. And I can get back into a nice routine of just, you know, waking up, getting her to camp, going for a walk, taking a shower, and just sitting down and actually getting to concentrate on my work instead of getting pulled back and forth between all the things that I'm trying to coordinate with her and school. I will see you guys in the next episode then. And keep on coding on.